When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 68 of DevRaga Personal Finance. In this episode, we will discuss about how markets react to pandemics historically and also what is happening around the world and in Australia right now, and my take on whether my investing style should change. We'll also go on to discuss a little bit about bull markets and bear markets because you would have heard of those two terms um, thrown around quite a lot recently, and also talk about the various subtypes. Before we hit the main topic, though, I think it's worthwhile to all just take a deep breath There's so much hysteria, so much market panic at the moment, Um, and we don't need to be too worried about what's going on around the world. There are millions and millions of people working on this issue about the coronavirus pandemic, so let's all just take a deep breath. Uh, We're not all going to die. The world's not going to end tomorrow, but things may change. Now, before we get on to the main topic, though, just remember... This podcast um, channel is mainly for your entertainment and educational purposes only. I don't claim to be a financial advisor. I am not a financial planner. So please don't take this advice as personalized advice. Consult your own team, consult your own accountant and personal financial advisor. Now, the premise of this podcast channel, if you're new to this, is to empower you with the knowledge necessary to discuss financial topics with peers, colleagues, and most of all, your financial advisor and family members. The pay-yourself concept is the most important premise here. Take 20% of your after-tax money and put it aside. That is your pay-yourself money. That money should never be touched ever again. In my humble view, there are five steps to financial success in addition to stay away from debt. Number one, pay yourself first, which means taking away that 20% of that money after-tax and putting it aside. Number two, Invest it into something you know and understand or at least make efforts to learn about it. Number three, always reinvest the dividends. When you invest in things, you will get payment in the form of dividends. So make sure that you reinvest those dividends back into the portfolio. Number four, do it forever, long term, think long term, 20, 30, 40 years plus. And number five, my favorite, is to automate the process. The more money um, that you the more money that you you know put aside now is going to be hugely beneficial for you in 20, 30, or 40 years' time. And remember, money is just a tool. In my humble view, if you just follow these five simple steps, you're going to have more money than you ever imagined that you ever needed to have, and you can use that money to better your life, but more importantly, to better the lives of other people around you. Now, coming back to the topic of this coronavirus, let's examine the facts a little bit with respect to this virus, Okay. As it stands today, there's more than 100,000 people that have been infected with this virus globally, Um, approaching about 4,000 deaths um, at last count. I think it's it's under 4,000, but approaching that 4,000 figure. Now, for the first time, the spread of the virus, um, there's the number of infections that are happening outside of mainland China is increasing compared to actually infections within mainland China. And I think that rate is at at about ninefold rate outside of China. 
right? Now, the infection rate in China has been proven to be slowing down. Um, and basically, in terms of the number of countries affected around the world, it's over 100 countries that have been affected around the world, with notable exceptions to major parts of Africa and also major parts of India, for example, that haven't been significantly affected, particularly when you consider the population of those two, um, you know, Africa as a continent and India as a country. I mean, huge amount of population, but the spread hasn't happened significantly. Now, there's two possibilities here. It's just that the containment there is better, or people are just not getting tested or don't have access to healthcare. That could be the reason. And also the very, very hot climates, although that doesn't explain the spread within Iran, um, Dubai, the UAE, Singapore, etc. Very, very hot climates in those areas. So I guess the human cost to this pandemic is immense, okay? Thousands of lives have been lost, um, and mainly those with um, comorbidities already and the elderly are very, very vulnerable, particularly after the age of 55, 60, and 65 years of age. But how does it compare to the modern era epidemics and pandemics, okay? It seems to me that more people and health professionals and the public are more worried about this particular virus than previous pandemics. Why is that? Is that legitimate? And is this time any different? Okay. Now, in my view, we are more connected in 2020 than we were ever before globally. Travel is potentially unlimited. Social media use is rife. YouTube use is rife. Um, the news channels are 24-7 in 2020 compared to what it was, you know, 20 years ago. Um, people are more connected around the world. News just spreads really, really fast. So all of this equates to potentially rapid information flow and also rapid miscommunication of critical information. If you have a look at what's happened in Australia over the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours, even the health departments can't get this thing right. You know, the state health departments all have different policies. The federal health department have one policy. Even they are not, you know, cohesive enough and coordinated enough in, in, in terms of providing logical advice to the public and logical advice to the healthcare workers around Australia. Now, let's have a look at what's happened in the past. You look at SARS, okay? In 2003, that was the first reported case in Asia. Uh, and then the last reported case of SARS was in 2004, with 8,000 confirmed cases around the world. 29 countries affected um, uh, um, in, uh, in, uh, uh, in around the world at that time. And the death rate for SARS uh, was around 10%. So the death rate was quite high, okay? MERS, which is a Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome, first originated in Saudi Arabia in 2012, 27 countries affected, 2,500 confirmed cases, and a death rate of, wait for it, 34%. 34% of people that caught MERS actually died from it. Swine flu, probably the biggest pandemic we've had in uh, the 21st century, 2009, um, caused 500,000 people to die over, over around the world, 500,000 people, okay? Compare that to the coronavirus, which is around 4,000 people. Now, this was only 11 years ago, the swine flu epidemic. So 2020 uh, is today. 2009 was the pandemic. Uh, affected globally um, and estimated people affected around the world. They think about a billion people got affected around the world, okay? But the death rate for the swine flu pandemic was only 0.02%. 
So nowhere near as what we're seeing with SARS and nowhere near as what we had with MERS as well. Now let's get to COVID-19. COVID-19 is the official name of the coronavirus pandemic. 100,000 cases globally, death rate of around 3% so far. Now we won't know the complete death rate until basically, you know, this virus sort of goes around the world and sort of runs itself out, so to speak. Um, Many people have minor symptoms, cold-like symptoms, and mostly the elderly uh, are at risk, you know, particularly those above the age of 65 years of age, okay? So what's the moral here? The moral here is we've had pandemics before. We have survived pandemics before, and we will survive this pandemic. And when I say we, I mean humanity, not individual people as such, right? I hope I survive this pandemic, but who knows? You know, I'm a frontline health worker. Um, I'm exposed to people with all sorts of infections every single shift that I work. Um, and yes, um, there are people who come in who are travellers who are at risk of COVID-19. So, you know, I may not survive this pandemic. I hope I do, but humanity will survive. So we've been through this before. But why is it relative? Um, sorry, why is it relevant socially? Why is that concept relevant socially that we will survive? There's so much panic buying out there, you know, and it's affecting vulnerable people out there. Okay, I've had patients tell me that they've had to panic buy and don't have enough money to buy medicines uh, because at the moment, you know, toilet paper for some weird reason in Australia. Why oh why? I don't know. And I think that pandemic in itself is spreading to other countries in the UK, Europe and the United States, North America as well. People are buying and stocking up toilet paper. There are people getting charged because they're having fights in, you know, Woolies and Coles for toilet paper. It's getting ridiculous. So let's all just settle down. We don't need, you know, 10,000 rolls of toilet paper and toilet paper is in short supply because people are hoarding it. Same with Panadol and Nurofen. People are hoarding it. Uh, Same with non-perishables. Let's all take a calm sort of approach to this. Um, So let's all not go out and buy, you know, these products because, you know, we need enough for everyone. So just remember that researchers around the world are working to contain, trying to develop vaccines, trying to develop faster and faster test kits. If you read the news, Singapore has the fastest test kit available, three hours turnaround to get a COVID-19 swab back. So the world you know, is working together to try and address this uh, internationally. But this also brings out the worst in people, which is always really interesting that I find, okay? So let's all just take a chill pill, stop panic buying, there's enough to go around. But whenever there's a pandemic, there's always an effect on the financial markets. So let's look at how financial markets have performed during such periods in the past, Now, shout out to another listener, Michelle, for this topic suggestion. They were the ones that suggested that I should talk about pandemics and the markets. So thank you very much. If you want a particular topic discussed, shout me a Facebook message, um, post on the Devraga Personal Finance Facebook page, send me an email, a mobile mobile SMS if you have those details. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel via CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcast, or even devraga.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Devraga Personal Finance page and click on the like button. That helps me with the Facebook algorithm. Um, Please share it with friends and family if you find the channel useful. And if you don't find the information useful, share it anyway. Who cares? I'm specifically looking at the ASX 200 when I'm talking about the financial markets when it comes to pandemics. So for all the overseas listeners, this may not be relevant to you. You may want to read up on the performance of your local markets and how that's been affected with pandemics, okay?
So let's go back and have a look at SARS in 2003. The All Ordinaries um, basically went from 2,935 points to 3,306 points. So when the SARS epidemic or pandemic completed uh, by the end of uh, you know 2004, there was an increase of 12% in the markets in the All Ordinaries. Let's have a look at ASX 200, 2,956 points to 3,299 points. That's an increase of 11% by the time the SARS epidemic or pandemic was completed, okay? Let's have a look at MERS in 2012. All ordinaries went from 4,235 to 5,388, an increase of 28% in that time. Let's also have a look at the ASX 200 during that time, 4,262 to 5,411. Again, an increase of 27%. Now, the swine flu epidemic. Okay, fine, 2009. Let's have a look at how the markets performed during that period. The All Lords went from 3,476 points to 4,882 points. That's an increase of 40%. The ASX 200, 3,540 points to 4,870 points an increase of 37%. What's the pattern here? Despite all the paranoia, despite all the panic buying, and despite all the worries of the past epidemics and pandemics, especially the swine flu, which killed the most people, the markets ended up doing well in that time. That's why I get a bit worried about when people say, Dev, this time it's different. It may be. No one knows. That doesn't mean the world stops. That doesn't mean the world, you know, doesn't stop revolving. People need to eat. People need to go to work. Definitely need toilet paper. Businesses still need to exist. Um, Now, the types of businesses that exist in five years is going to be different to the types of businesses that exist today. But that's always the case. That's the evolution of business cycles. So in my view, this is going to be a bad year for Australia. 29 years of no recession, continuous growth, the government is pulling all stops to try and prevent a recession. Unemployment is rising. There's too many factors here to prevent a bad year for Australia. Whether we had the coronavirus epidemic, whether we didn't, we also had, remember, the bushfire epidemic just before. I mean, people lost lives, houses were destroyed, businesses were destroyed, the tourism industry was destroyed, particularly in Victoria and New South Wales. So that just happened, you know, literally just three months ago. Um, And the fires were just literally contained in Victoria about a month ago. So, you know, we've had so many things happen in the last three to five months that I think Australia will have a bad year this year. So, you know, what goes up must come down. You can't avoid gravity. Now, let's look at the current markets. Let's look at the coronavirus market, okay? In 2019, the All Ordinaries went from 5,937 points to 6,802 points, and that was an increase of 14.5%. The ASX 200 went from 5,864 points to 6,684 points. That's an increase to 40 well, sorry, for, that's an increase of 14%. So let's have a look at 2020 so far. So 2019 was an excellent year for the stock market. Let's look at 2020 so far. It's only been about two and a half months, but let's have a look at the data. The All Ordinaries has gone from 6,802 points to 5,995 points. That's I've checked that at 4 p.m. today. 
That's a decrease of only 11.8%. The ASX 200 has gone from 6,684 points to 5,939 points. That's a decrease of only 11.1%. Now, there's a pattern here. Notice how the ASX 200 mirrors the Dow Jones because that's how the indices work. So basically, we've had a drop of about 11.8%. That is hardly a bear market. Let's wait and see. It could turn into a bear market, um, but that is hardly a bear market. Okay. Now, let's relook at what's happened in terms of the peak of ASX 200 and now where we are today. If you take it from the peak, which was 7,227 points back in Jan, and you factor in the losses, you know, that's an 18% downturn, okay? So that is almost a bear market, okay? So which leads on to the leads on to the next topic, what is a bear market? But before we go on to the next topic here within this podcast, let me be very clear. We have lived through pandemics, the stock market has reacted to pandemics, and it turns out we've always, you know, did better than we ever did after the pandemic. So, yes, this is a pandemic. The coronavirus pandemic is, is live. It's, it's well. It's, it's trying to be contained as much as possible. There are millions of people working on the issue around the world. Um, so I get a little bit nervous when people start panicking and, and start selling off their stock because they're worried that the world's going to end. I just don't think the world is going to end. Okay, so... Hopefully that gives you some perspective and thank you again, a shout out to Michelle for this very, very important topic because it's just been an absolute mayhem in the markets, particularly in the last two weeks. So this is a good segue now to the topic of a bear market versus bull market. Now, what is a bear market? A bear market basically means the price of securities falls 20% or more from its highs and it can be attributable to individual securities or stocks. So a particular individual security can be on a bear or bullish term, or it can affect the entire market, such as the indices like ASX 200. Now, even if you take into account the highest ASX 200, which was in Jan, as I explained, the market has fallen about 18%. So it's not the whole 20%. So we haven't officially reached a bear market yet. Now, the definition is that it must happen in a sustained fashion. Okay, so you can't just have one day of a drop, it's got to be in a sustained fashion, usually over two months at a time. So at the end of 2018, again, we almost reached this this definition of reaching that 20% drop over a two-month period of time, and we almost reached a bear market. Now, there are two main types of bear markets. The first type is called a cyclical bear market, which basically lasts for weeks to a few months. And the second type of bear market is something called a secular bear market, which is lasting for many, many years. For example, the 2008 financial crisis was a secular bear market. Over two years, the Australian market lost almost 50% of its value. Secular bear markets can last for several years, in fact. Uh, and the American market had a prolonged secular bear market from 1966 to 1982. That's probably the most recent you know, prolonged secular bear market that the Americans have had. Now, within the secular bear market, it's important to note that there can actually be short rallies. But over that period, the market may become volatile and then back back to its baseline. So you could have a secular market for about two years. The market rises and falls and rises and falls. But the start and end point usually means there's been a substantial you know, fall over that period of time. So I thought about why is it actually called a bear market? 
Well, it's called a bear market because uh, apparently when a bear attacks, they swipe their paws downwards. So looking at the stock market chart, this is kind of how it looks like in a bear market where a series of strikes heading downwards. I'm really not sure who thought of that name, but that's what it is and that's how it came about and that's why it's called a bear market. Now, bull markets, on the other hand, happen when investors are optimistic, the economy is good, people are bullish, there's low unemployment rate, there's rising GDP, there's rising in corporate profits, and debt is generally cheap with low interest rate environments. Now, there is a caveat to this, because at the moment, we have a very low interest rate environment in Australia and around the world, but yet we're, we're sort of nudging the bear market. So it kind of doesn't make sense, but I'll get to that in a moment. Now... The best definition of a bull market, although there isn't an official definition, is basically a 20% rise in the market value, which happens usually after a 20% or more drop in the market. Okay, that is called a bull market. So again, why is it called a bull market? Well, it's called a bull market because apparently when a bull attacks, it thrusts its head upwards. Again, this seems all pretty random, but uh, we'll have to live with it. Some some random guy basically named it as bear and bull markets. Uh, you know, I would have probably given it a better name, a cooler name, but anyway, that's just the way it is. So if you have a look at the greatest bull market in the ASX uh, since the GFC in 2008, we've gone from 3,500 points to a recent highs of 7,227 points. That is a spectacular bull market. So Australians are very, very lucky. We've had a significant uh, bull market, particularly in the last 10 years. Now, recently in the news, though, the RBA has cut its interest rates. So how does all that fit into this, you know, coronavirus epidemic, market volatility, uh, you know, uh, cheap debt. How, how does it all sort of fit in? Now, the official RBA rate is now 0.5%. This is the lowest it's ever been. And they have acknowledged this is going to be one of the lowest ever, maybe even a cut even more to 0.25% in the coming months. Essentially, the RBA is utilising as much of its power to try and stimulate the Australian economy. Everyone is worried about the recession. It's inevitable, in my opinion, but with the recent coronavirus happenings, the economists, the um, treasuries, the um, of course the government in power is absolutely freaking out. This was their running stance. Our economy will be strong under strong government leadership. Everyone is panicking. The bushfire season had a major impact um, it looks like the coronavirus is having a major impact as well. Unemployment is ever so slightly rising. And now there's also an oil war with the Saudis keeping their production rate high. That's just happened over the weekend, which means oversupply and less demand. Less demand because there's less travel means less fuel being used, which means prices have reduced a lot. In this low fuel price situations, you know, I want to get rid of my electric Tesla, said no one ever. That was a really bad joke. I had to put that in there. I still love the car. I drive it every day. It's amazing. But let's just say that the government is preparing for a dent in the surplus, if any. We may end up having a deficit this particular budget. Essentially, the worry here is the RBA, by reducing interest rates, is slowly running out of ammunition. Other countries' interest rates have actually gone negative. In other words, you borrow money, you get paid to borrow money. Uh, we haven't reached that stage yet in Australia. In my view, the rate cuts is not going to change people's behaviour. People are still panicking. In my view, people are not going to be all of a sudden travelling more. People are not going to be enrolling in overseas universities or international students are not going to be coming into Australia more because of the RBA interest rates cut. Um, I guess having a low interest rate environment means they're trying to encourage businesses to borrow money, but really, 
I really don't think Qantas, for example, is going to borrow money to buy more planes when they can't even fill the planes now in terms of travelling. And I don't think the Asian restaurant down the road, which unfortunately due to absolute hysteria is probably struggling and it's you know really sad to see that, is not going to go and borrow money to expand their business. So I really don't think the RBA interest rate cuts is going to have a major impact to try and stave off much of the risk of a recession. But who knows? I stand to be corrected. I hope Australia doesn't have a recession, but I just don't see how we could avoid one. We've just had an incredible economy over the last 30 years. Um, I just don't think it's avoidable. But I hope it is. I hope I'm wrong. But and I've I've looked at it whichever way possible, but you know we've just had too many whammies: the bushfires, the coronavirus, the oil epidemic, the the oil price crash, the you know the rising unemployment rate. You know, uh, I just don't think it's avoidable. But anyway, now before I finish, I briefly mentioned before the oil price war, which has just happened over the last weekend. So why is this happening? Petrol prices are at their lowest for a while. Why is that? Well, basically what's happened is Russia and Saudi Arabia have created a duopoly and an alliance called the OPEC+. Plus. This happened in 2016. And those two countries agreed production rates such that prices would remain steady. So basically, hey, look, let's just, you know, reduce production so that we can keep the prices as high as possible. Um, but on the 6th of March, which was last Friday, the negotiations and talks broke down. The Russians didn't want to give up too much room for the American oil production and basically said, sorry, we can produce as much oil as possible from the 1st of April. So the Russians told the Saudi Arabians, sorry, we're part of this OPEC plus alliance, but we don't want to give the Americans too much room to move. So apologies, we're going to keep producing more oil. So too bad, Saudi Arabia. And of course, this upset the Saudi Arabians. Meanwhile, quietly, the Americans have now become the number one oil producers in the world. That's right. The Americans are now the number one oil producers in the world. If you ask anyone in Australia, let alone anyone around the world, who produces more oil than ever, I bet you a lot of them will say the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. That's actually not true. The Americans are quietly racking up their oil production, right? So over the weekend, the Saudis then slashed their prices to 47 bucks per, uh, per barrel. So four to $7 US dollars per barrel and basically said, we want to increase our production to 10 million uh, barrels, uh, you know, this, this particular quarter. Oh, sorry, 10 million barrels per day. Whereas the Americans are currently producing about 13 million barrels per day. Mm-hmm. And they're going to estimate to be producing uh, this uh, amount of barrels per per day for this quarter. So this is great for customers because we've got so much more oil production, less demand. Um, So I reckon it's time to do some road trips around Australia, people. If you're driving an ice car, go ahead, go for your holiday, enjoy your time because oil is cheap, petrol is cheap. So in summary, you know, is it all doom and gloom? Okay, well, for the short term, possibly yes, but think long term. Remember, Speculators are for short term. Investors are for long term. And hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast channel, you are a long term investor. Now, if you have a mortgage, what do you do? So the interest rates are the lowest they've ever been. Well, firstly, you should ring up your bank and say, hey, can you reduce that interest rate? Can you match the RBA decline of you know 0.25% or whatever it is at the moment? And if your bank doesn't do that, ask them why. They've got no legitimate reason to deny that because debt is so cheap. 
pay off your mortgage in my view just pay it off especially if you're not willing to ride the volatility of the stock market if you want to put if you don't want to put money into the stock market then put money into your mortgage put it into your offset account pay it off as quickly as we possibly can so that's it i'm optimistic now who knows what could happen tomorrow but yesterday the market dropped 400 points today i was expecting the market to drop another you know 100 or 200 points but here we are it's up by 179 points. I did not predict that. No one predicted that. So, timing the market is a fool's game. Time in the market is the best game. You've got to be in the game to win it. That's about it. This is Dev Rucker, Personal Finance. Thank you very much for listening. Episode 68. Questions and comments are always welcome. Shout out again to Michelle, the third time I've done this podcast episode, for this great, great topic. Remember, sign up to this channel on CastBox, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or online via devraga.com, and sign up to the Devraga Personal Finance Facebook page, and click on that like button. That helps me with the Facebook algorithm. And as always, learn about finance, pay yourself first, and until next time, wash your hands, by the way, and stop buying toilet paper. Stay safe. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.